the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Keep on in Colorado. Welcome to Life in Colorado. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you have probably been exposed to the Chris Watts story. Um, Richard, definitely, I know you and I have had some experience with the news. Yes, the the tragic incident. I remember... the first day that I saw him was when he was doing an interview playing for his family. I felt bad for him. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, here's a man, supposedly, that um, his family had gone missing. He didn't know where they were or what had happened to him, so we thought. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it was. It was heartrending when <laughs> you think about it. Cut to a couple of days later, and to be quite frank, this man disgusts me. Yeah. I, I can't even look at him. It was that he confessed to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you just have to say, uh, I mean, when, you can, when you're confronted with something like that, you say, what happened? And in his life and around him to, to cause him to do such a horrendous thing. I mean, that's just um, mind boggling. And then the latest variation, and keep in mind, no legal defense has actually Mm -hmm. been formally. Right. But they are trying to try it in the court of public opinion. And a statement he made said that he told her he was going to leave, and then she hurt the girls. And then he, because he was so upset, allegedly, supposedly, that's when he he killed her. Now, Now, at this point, I'm extremely done. Uh, he's in custody. Right. And, and, and he's not getting out. Whatever legal defense you mount, you deserve that. It's your right. But you're not getting out. Right. <laughs> so, and the thing that's so disturbing to me, because, of course, you know, one in three women have been victims of domestic violence, and I'm no exception. I, I am the rule. I have had those experiences in my childhood. And, and in my adulthood, I've had some situations that were extremely unhealthy. So what we're going to focus on, Today and this week, because I know a number of us are outraged, and like you said, the question of why, how, mm-hmm. where did this come from? Well, let's go ahead and set that to the side and let the police deal with that. Right. Uh, this week, right. we're going to focus on what we as bystanders, or what I'm being told is called upstanders, can do to help. So that's what our show is about. We're going to take a, a little bit of a break, and we're going to have uh, Amy Pohl. She's with a violence-free Colorado. She's going to sit down and talk with us about those issues. Great. All right, we'll be back in one moment. Last night I heard the screaming, loud voices behind the wall. Another sleepless night for me, it won't do no good to call the police. 
always come late if they come at all. And when they arrive, they say they can't interfere with domestic affairs between a man and his wife. And as they walk out the door, the tears well up in her eyes. Today, we are going to spotlight one of the many organizations in Colorado that do deal with domestic violence. We have with us today Amy Pohl. She's the Communication Director for Violence Free Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us, Miss Amy. Thanks for having me. Is relationship violence in Colorado really an issue? Yes. Relationship violence is an issue everywhere. Um, And it's widespread, but it's also preventable. But it's really important to remember that it happens across... Um, people of every age, race, gender, profession, socioeconomic class. And so when we see these really high-profile cases on the news and we say to ourselves, well, gosh, that person doesn't look like they could be abusive or that person doesn't look like they'd be a victim, just remember there's no typical victim of domestic violence and there's no typical um, abuser. They're just like all of us because it happens to all of us. When was your organization founded? When, when did you all step up to the forefront and decide to get involved? Our organization was founded 40 years ago. So back in the 1970s, when the what they called the battered women's movement started, um, we began um, a small coalition, 12 organizations from around the state came together and said, hey, let's work together on this issue and see what we can do to try to address and prevent domestic violence in Colorado. So back in the 70s, mm-hmm. so definitely it's been a while. What are some of the, the evolutions that have happened within the organization? I know you said you started as just a small coalition, but now you're a little bit more than that. We certainly are. We have more than 40 domestic violence advocacy organizations around the state of Colorado all available to provide crisis intervention for people experiencing relationship violence in our state. We work with hundreds of organizations around the state in local communities um, to prevent and end relationship violence and then support those families that are affected by relationship violence. I noticed that that there's a a different phrase that you use. We've obviously been trained or pre-programmed to utilize the phrase domestic violence. But it sounds like now we're using relationship violence to be a little more inclusive. We are trying to be more inclusive. So we certainly still use the term domestic violence, but we found that so many more people in relationships are not necessarily living together or they might be living together, but they're not married. And that came with a lot of preconceived notions about who might be accessing services. And so we wanted to make sure that everyone that is experiencing any kind of violence in their relationship, their intimate partner relationship, can come forward and access those services around the state. Let's get down to the numbers. It looks like one in three women and one in 10 males have experienced some form of relationship violence by an intimate partner. Is, is that an accurate figure? That is an accurate figure. We know that most people who experience this kind of violence don't report it to law enforcement. There have been a number of studies conducted and we found that right around one in three and one to one in four women experience it and about one in ten men will experience it in their lifetime so that's a pretty significant number if you think about if you have three women that you know in your life chances are one of them might have experienced that in a relationship now uh, another statistic was that a gun just being in the home just a regular gun increases substantially the likelihood of homicide by a partner by 500%? Right. It sounds pretty ridiculous and um, and sometimes unbelievable. But yes, that is the 
correct statistics. So the presence of a firearm greatly increases the likelihood that someone in that relationship is going to be murdered. Let's move away from the numbers and get on to the people. We're in Colorado, so we've heard about the allegations made against Chris Watts. He's uh, the father of two, two and a half children who is currently being accused or alleged of killing his wife and two children. And I think that actually there's some talk that he's actually confessed to the crimes. So, uh, yes, that is correct. But we just don't know how that confession will stick. Right. True. So, or, or if there's diminished capacity or, or PTSD or, or just any of the, the various legal maneuvers that come into play, which everyone has a right to a defense. Don't get me wrong. But let's backtrack away from the legal go a little bit away from the man. Well, let's do a hypothetical situation because honestly, that's all we can do without her here to tell us. When you see someone who who from externally, it looks like they have it all. They have a beautiful house. They have a husband. They have two cute little kids and another baby on the way. And then you hear about what happened after with the bodies being discovered based on a, a confession. Where does your, your mind go as far as that, that flow of logic and, and any type of intervention that would have been possible? Would any intervention been possible with her telling no one? That's a really great question. And it's a really tough question. And it's a question I think a lot of people are struggling with around the state and even around the country because it certainly made national news. We have a group of um, survivors of relationship violence that we work closely with um, on different issues and It's been um, all the emails that we've had recently have been about this case. It's something that has really hit home. It's something that people are deeply affected by, whether or not they are from that community or not. And everyone is asking, how could we have prevented this, right? And that's a really great question. So Stand Up Colorado is our statewide prevention campaign. And um, we do have, I'm just going to tell you right now, we have a helpline that's available for people who want to get involved um, and want to um, either um, change their behavior. Um, So if it's someone that's using abusive behaviors, they want to change their behavior. It's someone who needs help or it's a friend or a family member or even a community member that wants to get involved. And the helpline number is 1-855-9-STAND-UP. And what we know is that this is, this is going to require a lot of work. We are going to have to become a community in Colorado where relationship violence simply is not tolerated. We as a community have to say, when we see this kind of thing happen, to the person using that behavior, that's not okay. And we're not going to tolerate it, and we are going to hold you accountable. Um, and there's a lot of ways that that might happen. Right now, we focus so much on victims and how we can intervene after this violence has already taken place. But how do we prevent it? And that's really the question around how can we change the behavior and create a future in Colorado that's free from from relationship violence. I can tell you that despite the fact that maybe there haven't been prior police reports in this particular case, and in a lot of cases that might be the case, that doesn't mean that there wasn't something going on prior to now. This is not something where someone just snaps. With the issue of relationship violence, it's usually a pattern of behavior that's used over time. So in order for one person to gain power and maintain control in a relationship. So it might not be physical violence at first. It might be other things, emotional abuse, telling someone that they're worthless, that no one else would want them, isolating them from their family, isolating them from their finances, 
certainly in our state, we have a lot of undocumented individuals. And so it might be withholding their status or the potential for them to gain some sort of legal status. It might be threatening to out them if it's an LGBTQ relationship. There's a a lot of tactics that are used to gain power and control in a relationship to get that person to stay in the relationship. And when those tactics are not working, so say, for instance, in this hypothetical, the person threatened to leave, the person being abused threatened to leave, which, as we know, might actually have been the case in, 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 in the Watts case, those tactics are going to be amplified a little bit. They're going, to, they're going to increase. And sometimes that includes physical violence, and sometimes that includes the ultimate act of control, and that's murder. Another thing that was really concerning about this case, and I think that um, many people feel um, really deep in their heart, is that she was pregnant. And, and that's, really, that's really difficult. Um, and what's astonishing for people to know is that in a study by the CDC, we know that about 50% of domestic violence homicides occur when that partner is pregnant or has recently given birth. So that actually increases the chance of lethality as opposed to decreasing it. So it can be a really particularly scary time for victims. Another time of of danger is when people actually decide to leave the relationship. So as I mentioned earlier, if you leave or threaten to leave, sometimes that violence will escalate. Um, And so we know that about 75%, so three in four domestic violence homicides occur once that person has decided to leave the relationship. And so does that mean that that people shouldn't leave? Absolutely not. It just means that leaving is a process, not an event. And there are advocates across the state of Colorado that can help victims safety plan and create a plan where they can actually safely leave as opposed to to fleeing after a particularly dangerous incident where um, the likelihood of injury is so much more. So we're just going to take a a brief pause. We're speaking with Amy Pohl. She is the communication director for Violence Free Colorado. Uh, We'll be speaking with her in just one moment. We'll be right back. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? Amid the chaos? Or is the best time perhaps today? Go to ready.gov slash communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for Life in Colorado. We've talked a little bit about the victims. Mm-hmm. Let's flip the page and go a little bit more towards solutions. You, you mentioned in passing that in, in addition to your hotlines being for relationship victims, it could also be for those individuals who are experiencing an urge to be violent. So domestic violence appears to be a learned pattern of behavior something that was seen previously in childhood by a parent or a parental figure. That, that's how they dealt with their situations. That's how men dealt with situations to a certain level and a, a subconscious trigger. And even though we're all human beings and adults and we have the conscious ability to make various choices, some of us legitimately don't have the tools to make better choices. Uh, do you have any programs uh, available for those individuals before they, they hurt someone? That's a really good point. So there are a lot of people who choose to use abusive behaviors that did experience that in their home as children, and that is something that they might believe is, is normal behavior. Um, also, there are a lot of people that were raised in those homes that don't go on to make that choice, that don't go on to abuse their intimate partner. So it's, it's really important to differentiate between 
correlation <laughs> and causation, meaning it, it might correlate, right? But it doesn't necessarily cause it, but that, that certainly can play into it. And so for someone who that might have been their experience and for those who it might not have been their experience, but that know that maybe they're using behaviors that aren't acceptable in our society that would rise to a level of abuse. Maybe you're constantly checking your partner's phone for who called them or getting really jealous of other relationships that they might have, even with their friends and family. Or maybe you are threatening to do bad things if that person leaves you. All of those things could be red flags that, ooh, I'm using behaviors that really... I'm not sure I I want to see myself continue down that road. And so actually there are programs out there. We have a variety of what we call domestic violence offender treatment providers in Colorado, which is a really long name, but really it just says people who are trained to work with folks that maybe use these behaviors. And if you call our helpline, which is one 855 stand up you can actually be connected with a treatment provider that can work with you to address these issues and try to de-escalate them and help you make better choices in your relationship. Understandable, because I, I know definitely in some environments, people just don't have the tools. Right. They just don't. They weren't raised in a nurturing environment. They weren't raised in an environment where they saw males and females interacting in a, a positive way, which as, as we go along... I, I feel like that's a little bit more prevalent. We don't have as many 30-year marriages as we used to maybe back in the day. But mm-hmm. but definitely no one is beyond help. No one is beyond help. You're absolutely right. I think that's true. And, and with the right resources and for people who are really willing to um, change their behaviors and really accept that they do need to change their behaviors, absolutely they can change. You're a successful sales pro. You're making good money. So what's missing? Do you need something bigger than commissions? Salem Media Group in Denver is seeking an integrated marketing consultant who shares our sense of mission and wants to grow with a great company. We need an experienced, uncompromising self-starter who understands selling, marketing, and ad strategies for digital and broadcast. Join our team and fuel that fire in your belly as you work with existing clients and develop new business in the Denver metro. Go to SalemMedia.com slash careers for more. And we're back. We're here with Amy Pohl from Violence Free Colorado. And we've discussed definitely the victims. And we've definitely touched on just a little bit on the perpetrators. Now, let's talk about the rest of us. Uh, What I'm being told are called upstanders. Uh, Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. So upstanders is just a word that we're using instead of bystanders who might just be standing by and watching things happen. Upstanders are people who want to get involved. They want to see change. And that might be you are witnessing one of your friends or family members either experiencing abuse or using those abusive behaviors in their relationship and you aren't really sure what to do. So you also can call the statewide Stand Up Colorado helpline at one 855 stand up and get some advice on how you might intervene safely um, in a way that, that lets folks know that you're there, that you're a resource, that you want to see change happen, and that you can connect them with other resources out there. Maybe it's that you just want to get involved in your community. Um, there are more than 40 domestic violence advocacy organizations across Colorado, and most of them are in need of volunteers. So you can find um, on our website, violencefreecolorado.org, your local program, and you can contact that program and see what volunteer opportunities there are available. 
We also have some fun events scheduled around the state during Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is October. And so, again, you can find out what your program and your community is doing by going to our website at violencefreecolorado.org. Um, if you're here in the Denver area, we're going to be teaming up on October 1st with Woods Boss Brewing Company to raise awareness about the issue of relationship violence and also have a little fun as well. So you'll find more information about that again on our website or on our Facebook page as the time gets closer. Okay. Going back a little bit to the Watts case, because we saw all the Facebook pictures, this, this beautiful young woman with these smiling kids and these smiling husbands. I personally didn't see anything in the Facebook post that that would have struck me. But as someone who was maybe a family member or a close friend, I mean, aside from bruising on the arms or, or blackened eyes, what are some of the other indicators that there may be uh, some imbalance in the relationship, that there may be some violence or, or some power-based actions going on in a relationship? I think both people using abusive behaviors and people experiencing abusive behaviors are really good at hiding it. And there's really good reason for that. But certainly there are red flags that might pop up. And so if you notice that your friend's significant person is really jealous and doesn't allow them to hang out with you as often or you hear someone say, well, I don't want to upset my girlfriend or boyfriend by going out too much, so we're just going to stay home tonight. And sometimes that's pretty normal in a relationship where people get into a relationship and they spend a little less time with their friends and family. But this is a prolonged and continued behavior. So that might be a red flag. It might be, again, that they're monitoring their cell phone or or technology use. Um, They're controlling the finances. They're telling them who they can hang out with and when. They're being emotionally abusive, calling them names or demeaning them. Um, there's all different kinds of, of red flags that you, you might, as a person that cares about that person, be able to see. And so, yeah, they're probably not going to show up on Facebook. But if you are really close to that person, there are things that you might see. And again, if you want to, you can call a crisis line and speak with an advocate and say, look, I'm worried about my friend. I don't know if what I'm seeing is domestic violence, but I'm really concerned. And you can talk about that with an advocate and they can help you try to think about what those behaviors are and how that might be impacting your friend and whether or not that that you can offer your friend some help and some resources to maybe be able to safely leave. Thank you so much for your time. We want to give you just one last opportunity for a closing statement. So um, for those individuals who are our listeners, who are the matriarchs and the patriarchs, of our families and our communities. What words of wisdom or or advice or or what would you like to share with them? I would really like for everyone to know that there are really good reasons why victims don't leave abusive relationships. And it's not always what it seems on its face. And it can be dangerous. It can be that they might be separated from their children if they do. There, there are all kinds of reasons why people stay. So instead of focusing on the victim behavior and if she felt scared, why didn't she just leave? Let's focus on holding people who use those behaviors accountable. And let's look at why it is that they abuse and how it is that we can make sure that that behavior doesn't continue. And if we can refrain from saying things like, why doesn't she just leave, right, then People who are around and listening who also might be in an abusive relationship might not feel judged and they might just come forward to you for help, right? So 
even if you think it's not impacting someone that you care about in your life, with a statistic like one in three women experience it in their lifetime, I can guarantee you, you know someone that's experiencing domestic violence. And the more open that you are to the reasons why they might have to stay in that relationship for their safety and maybe for their children's safety, the more likely you'll be seen as someone who is safe to come to when they are ready to leave. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it for today's show. We were joined by Amy Pohl. She's with Violence Free Colorado. And we definitely hope that we contributed to the conversation as opposed to to being a distraction. Richard Robertson is our show producer. My name is Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.